If you have a Bible, we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 8. Now, Noah and his family are in the ark, and they've been patiently waiting to get out and start new in the world again. Now, at this point, they've been sitting in there for some time. And, and for about a year, at this point, they've been waiting. Waiting for, waiting for the call to, to, uh, to go ahead and leave. And this account of the flood is one of the highest debates in the Bible. The question was, is was there a universal flood? Because many say it was probably just within the, the region where Noah was. Now, it's it said in the Bible that the earth was going to be flooded. And, and in fact, it was proven by scientists and geologists that, that don't even read the Bible or believe in it. They say that there was definitely a flood on the earth at some point. Now, you take a crime scene, and the detectives record it off because, because of the evidence in the parameter. And we must do the same, to stay within that parameter of the Word of God, uh, to know and see the evidence of it. And we look at the earth, the earth is part of that parameter as well as the evidence of what we're reading. See, chapter 7, the previous chapter that was taught, uh, spoke of the 40-day flood which destroyed every living person and thing on the earth, except for Noah and his family, uh, which consisted of his three sons and their wives, Noah and his wife, which makes eight people altogether. Now, as Noah was a good leader in his household... We can see that Noah may have been the man of the house, but he wasn't the one over the house. That was God. And chapter 7 was a tough chapter. But, but chapter 8 shows God's heart and God's plan that Noah got to experience. Now what he did experience was the worst storm that anyone has ever seen. And we too, we get to experience storms too in life. Sometimes we get to experience storms in a literal sense which has also destroyed many things. It's destroyed and ended lives. But sometimes we're hit with other storms. But in the end, see, we're tested and we're approved. And like the story of what we're about to see, we can all witness that after every storm comes the sun. It's exactly how God works. After every storm comes the sun in life. See, we're always put through something in some way, shape, or form. And I was taught a long time ago that if something's not flying at you, then you, you should be scared. <laughs> because there's that old saying that there's a calm before the storm, right? Well, sometimes God allows us to go through those things because He wants to see not just what we're made of, but He wants to see if we're going to be faithful to Him, if we're going to rely on Him. What are we going to do with it? See, a lot of times faith is tested, and a lot of times faith has been tested to not be in existence because of a storm. But God knows all things. God sees all things. And, and again, I love the story of Noah because Noah was a wonderful example. Noah was a faithful example. And we can see again over and over that yes, that, that Noah was not, Noah wasn't perfect because no human being was ever perfect. 
But what Noah was, was, was faithful and obedient, which is something that God always smiles upon. We can sacrifice all we want in life. We can, we can eliminate all we want in life. But without faith, without obedience, then what do we have? So we're going to take a look here at Genesis chapter 8. And we're going to see, we're going to see a new beginning here. We're going to look at uh, verses 1 through 5 in chapter 8. It says, Then God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were also stopped, and the rain from heaven was restrained. And the waters receded continually from the earth. In the end of the hundred and fifty days, the waters decreased. Then the ark rested in the seventh month, the seventeenth day of the month, on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters decreased continually until the tenth month, and the tenth month of the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. So as we look at chapter 8 of Genesis, uh, the number of the chapter is a perfect fit. Uh, and the reason being is because the number 8 is a number that represents uh, new beginnings in biblical numerology. So now, the scrolls itself weren't broken off in chapters as normally they were written as a, as a whole from the original scrolls that we've had, uh, but it definitely fits. Uh, God remembered Noah, it said. And it could be thought that, did God forget about him? And, and the answer to that is absolutely not. If God was able to observe the wicked heart of every man on earth when he flooded the earth, then he's not going to forget about eight people that he spared to repopulate the earth. So Mount Ararat is where God allowed the ark to sit, which I mentioned in chapter 7, and, and according to numerous eyewitnesses of different people, that the remnants of, of, of an ark or a boat was documented by eyewitnesses. But no one is allowed in that region where it was witnessed. It's, um, Ararat is right there in the region of Turkey. And the amount of witnesses over, over many years have been numerous. As, as some people stumbled across it, and as well as uh, certain military personnel that had flown over and witnessed it. But, of course, for some reason, <laughs> uh, somebody didn't want something to be discovered, so therefore the, the area is prohibited uh, to be oh, hiked around or, or visited. And that was mentioned in, in Chapter 7, if you were able to hear that. Okay, so God now is allowing the Ark to settle there, and he settled it there for good reason. Uh, it was one of the highest mountains in that region. It was about 17,000 feet high is where it's at. And about a year later since the flood started, they have been waiting to see where they're going to end up. And, and patience was definitely a virtue needed in this time frame. And I just love what James chapter 1 verse 3 says. It says that the testing of your faith produces patience. And, and Noah was blessed due to faith. And after a year, most anyone in that situation would have figured that they were easily forgotten. But yet it starts with God remembered Noah in verse 1. See, having faith does not just save your life, but your soul. Your eternal life, as God caused rain to come down, he was, he was also able to dry it up and, and place the waters in their, in their new rightful places. So it says that God made a wind to pass over the earth, to subside the waters. And, and the word wind is translated spirit in Hebrew and Greek. 
And without God's Spirit, we're like a sailboat in the ocean with no wind. We're just sitting there waiting for possible dangers. And we can see that God appoints special time and place for, for us. And the, and the key is waiting on Him and trusting His will. Uh, trusting His will for our lives. He created us. And He knows our thoughts. He knows our concerns. And knows when He's being relied on or when we want to rely on ourselves. And that's when we always say, well, I tried. When we could have said, by God's grace, I actually made it. And can you ever think about or remember all those times, you know, we like to say, I I tried my best. And when we say that, and when we experience that it didn't happen, we have to question, was that really in God's will? I tried my best. See, when we're directed by God, then He, He was the one that did the work. We just did what he said. It's exactly what Noah did. Noah was Noah was kept alive not because, well, he did his best. He was kept alive because he did exactly what God said to do. The, the ark seemed to have been wonderfully built, especially if it was found thousands of years later. And, and considering the fact that uh, there wasn't power tools and that there wasn't special material, considering the fact that Noah was not a professional boat builder, Noah was the first one in history to have been ever documented to have built anything remotely close to such. He built it and he did it to the blueprints of God. And when we look at our lives, when, our blue, when the blueprints of our lives are, are built and we do it exactly to the specs that God has put, then we will see victory. We we will see success. Because we followed Him. And we didn't follow what it is that we wanted. Let's take a look at uh, at verse 6 through 12. So it came to pass at the end of the forty days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. And then he sent out a raven which kept going to and fro until the waters had dried up from the earth. He also sent out for himself a dove to see if the waters had receded from the face of the ground. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot, and she returned into the ark to him, for the waters were on the face of the of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and drew her into the ark to himself. And he waited yet another seven days, and again he sent the dove out from the ark. And then the dove came to him, In the evening, and behold, a freshly plucked olive leaf was in her mouth, and Noah knew that the waters had receded from the earth. So he waited yet another seven days, and sent out the dove, which did not return again to him any more. So Noah must have known a little something about the birds that God had created. Uh, Now in wisdom, Noah didn't try to get out of the ark. And by faith, he waited until God's approval. But out of curiosity... Hey, why not send something that can fly? Now, there was mention in previous chapters that Noah was to, uh, to take and clean, that he was to take the clean and unclean animals on the ark. Now, doves were, were clean animals and were often considered birds of purity, where ravens were unclean and considered unedible. Uh, but in Eastern cultures, uh, ravens were considered a representation of doom, 
uh, birds of doom, kind of. And But still, uh, they, God used uh, these birds for his purpose, as they were part of his creation, okay? Doves and pigeons were used as carriers in wars, as we've known, for home, uh, homing pigeons and doves, and other tasks. Um, they had the ability to come back exactly to where they were sent off. And doves can go pretty long distances within a day. Uh, some have recorded that um, that doves have fil- f- uh, flown about 500 miles in one day. Uh, where ravens, it can take a few days for them to reach that many miles. Now, ravens can survive on a more diverse diet than doves can. But uh, where doves are, doves are a little more selective in their diets. Ravens were, were used to uh, feed the prophet Elijah, if you've ever read that story. Uh, Elijah was in hiding from uh, from an angry nation there in Israel when there was actually a drought, and God used ravens to bring food to Elijah. So we see that there was that there was use and abilities that God gave to them. Uh, verse eleven says a dove came into the evening with an olive leaf. Now, looking at the olive tree, it is a representation of peace. And if you hear someone ever say that I'm extending an olive branch, it's a it's a peace offering, which Noah must have felt after seeing that a form of peace after seeing an olive leaf in the uh, in the mouth of a bird. And God's timing is is not always our timing, but His timing is always perfect. And I wonder how many conversations Noah has had up in heaven over there with all those who have read and studied this account. You know, I'll definitely be one of the many uh, that want to uh, that want to chat with him, as I wonder how they upheld themselves being confined in the ark. Uh, the living conditions with animals were were they able to get along? You know, God uses these things to not only test relationships, but to build them. But I've always found that it would be a very interesting conversation. I remember a time where a bunch of miners in the in the country of Chile were were stuck uh down in this mine for a period a long period of time and I can't remember how many of them were down there but they were down in this mine and and all really all they had was each other and according to uh, some stories some people said that of course there were some fights and whatever have you but what they didn't uh but what they didn't talk about that some of the others did bring up was the fact that they were actually in prayer together. They were actually uh, studying the Bible together. So sometimes in situations, people are put in a dark place in order to seek light. So for me, again, I, I question it. I, I'd like to think that, uh, wow, <laughs> you're in a boat, in a very large boat with eight people um, and, and a whole load of animals that you had to care for could not have been an easy task. This definitely wasn't some cruise liner. And I've known people, too, that, that have spent a couple of weeks on a, on a luxurious cruise liner that tend to go kind of stir-crazy, and they're ready to get off that boat. But Noah and his patience... Noah and his patience was was faithful. If you remember the building of the ark, God told Noah to make one window. Now this was a very large ark, and and it was one window was all that was to be made. And for the majority of the time, he must have kept it closed because he just 
from from this region from this time on he we were able to see that he opened it to take a look and to receive the dove so confined in that dark place put yourself in those shoes and almost you'd have to wonder how you would do let's take a look at genesis chapter uh, 8 verse 13 to 19 and it says, And it came to pass in the six hundred and the first year in the first month, the first day of the month, that the waters were dried up from the earth, and Noah removed uh, the covering of the ark, and looked, and indeed the surface of the ground was dry. And in the second month, on the twenty-seventh day of the month, the earth was dried up. Then God spoke to Noah, saying, Go out of the ark, you and your wife, and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and cattle and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every animal, every creeping thing, every bird, and whatever creeps on the earth, according to their families, went out of the ark. Now, again, a year goes by, and now they're ready to exit. And they're, they're chosen to make a new start. And, and there's no telling what the earth looked like before the flood. Uh, we can somewhat imagine the earth being barren after it dried up, but there was something that Noah and his family had to do that a lot of people dread, which is finding or discovering a new normal in life. And on top of it, nowhere could uh, could they go in the world and and find uh, uh, to find people to dwell with. All they had was each other. Now, see that flood affected everything, as we'll see at the end of the chapter. Uh, but now, weather patterns with extreme conditions are a factor. We have natural disasters. We have storms, earthquakes, and all these things have become a regular occurrence in, in a lot of different areas around the world. But although after a year of confinement in the ark, I'm sure Noah and the others were not concerned about their new living conditions on earth. <laughs> uh, but again, the new normal that they would have had to face was not just weather and geographical conditions, but changes in health and conditions. Uh, there was changes in longevity that were never the same. Never again would we be finding people living to be 900 and some years old. And if you followed in the earlier chapters in Genesis, it was brought up the question of the population and how did it populate. Well, verse 17 brings up the question of be fruitful and multiply with only eight people. Well, actually technically six, okay? Noah and, and th uh, Noah's three sons and their wives. <laughs> it, was, it was start over time is what it was. Now, how could this work? Well, it was obvious that God had protected the gene pool of interbreeding. Uh, yet there was uh, there were more people to start over on the earth versus starting out with this Adam and Eve as the only two. But many years later, God made it a law that relatives were not to uh, to engage in these relations, as as it now as we know it affects gene pools. But back in these days, it was obvious that God had protected the gene pool and allowed this to, to happen for the sake of repopulating the earth. So I, I felt the need to elaborate on that, as, as many would have asked, or uh, why or how. And, and the bottom line is God knows what he's doing. Um, you know, if, if he fills you in on it, then what a blessing and an honor to know that, that you're in his circle. Some don't get told everything. 
And he, and his reasons are good for it. But trusting in him is the best results in our lives. Whether we know what he's doing or we have no clue. That is the best we could do is to rely on him. And again, Noah being the perfect example is, is exactly what happened. Noah did not do anything out of step. He did not create anything out of the specs. He didn't, he didn't disobey God in any way, shape, or form. And therefore we see the results, we, we see the results of life. That Noah got to live a long and abundant life. Let's take a look at verses 20 to 22. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and took of every clean animal, and of every clean bird, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. And then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy everything as I have done. While the earth remains seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. So Noah builds an altar. Okay, he builds an, an altar to, uh, to offer burnt sacrifices to God. And, and this is the first time where we see an altar built with burnt sacrifice. This is the first time in the Bible ever. Now, later in Leviticus, God gave Moses uh, specific, uh, specifics for different offerings and sacrifices. Uh, but Noah was the first one to give this. Uh, a burnt offering in Hebrew means to ascend. Okay, so that's what it means. It means to ascend, the smoke that goes up to the heavens. And, and it was generally used as an acknowledgement of sin nature. Um, it, w it could also be used in the sense of atonement or renewing of a relationship with God. So the burnt offering kind of had a, had a, a multiple use. But again, this was Noah's particular sacrifice. This was Noah's form of worship. Noah, on his own desire, was to do something to worship and to thank God. And, and God was pleased with it. See, we could never outgive God. But may we never have in our mind or heart that we've given him plenty. You know, especially when people ask for things daily from him. And, and even though Noah was considered the one that God preserved, he, he was not exempt from sin or sin nature. His recognition and heart toward God is what saved him. His sacrifice to God is what was pleasing. Now, and if you have continued in this study from a few chapters back, I'm, I'm glad because when people see that God flooded the earth, uh, I think many people would probably slam the Bible shut and say, well, I've seen enough. Okay, he's a God of wrath. Case closed. Well, I pray that, that continuing to read would give better insight on God. You know, no one likes to be falsely analyzed by others. You know, imagine how God would feel. Well, actually, he deals with it daily, I'm sure. But, you know, pray that this ministry will make him known as best as possible. You know, there's so much to God that we, that we, will, never, we will never know here on earth. But, you see, the Bible is his word. The Bible, the Bible is his word. The Bible exposes his heart, his mind, his works, his actions, his thoughts, his desires, 
his likes, his dislikes, and so much more to it. We we cannot we cannot really truly picture or, or paint a perfect picture. But again, the the goal of this ministry is is to make him known as best as possible, and he gave us his word to do that. And I and I pray again that that this uh, this ministry would do its best to reveal him more and more. And 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 I pray that that again that people most of all would receive him through it. And he, he said that he would never flood the earth again. And even though the, the imagination of man's heart is evil from youth, God displays grace. Countless times throughout the Bible, you know, and, and there are times where punishment was done, but when, when, we, do some, when we do horrific acts on earth, we, we pay with imprisonment, and in some cases death, depending on the crime. Now, we don't get to say I'm sorry for it and walk free in a human judicial system. But God forgives those things in the spiritual divine. See, what God did was he made provisions for us. And for all to be forgiven. And okay, all to be forgiven. And what was, what was through the ultimate sacrifice of Christ Jesus, who died for all sins. It said that for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. John 3.16, one of the most, one of the most well-known verses. Now, it's one of the most well-known verses, but is it one of the most believed? Well, if you believe that, then you're on a good path. You're on God's path. See, Noah knew God in a personal way. And you can as well by simply saying a prayer. I'm going to quote James again. James chapter 4 verse 8 says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Well, this is about as near as it gets. As you invite him into your heart, you can repeat after me if you want to receive him as your Lord and Savior. The Bible says the only way to heaven is to receive Christ into your heart. And Christ was the Son of God who he sent in order to die for our sins. No longer were, were sacrifices had to be made. What we read here, what Noah did, was he, he created a burnt offering. And during that time, it was pleasing to God, and that's what had to be done. Until he sent the perfect sacrifice. That was the sacrifice that was once and for all. And that was our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And again, the Bible says that if you believe in that and you believe in him, you will receive eternal life. And the choice is yours. But I pray that you will. And if you want to receive him, you can do so right now by saying this simple prayer. And if you feel that the Holy Spirit has led you to do so, repeat this after me. Dear God, please forgive me, Lord. Forgive me of my sins, Lord. Father, wash me. Wash me clean of all of my sins, Lord. Father, I believe that you died for me. And I believe you rose again. So, Lord, I receive you in my heart, Father, Lord. Is my Lord and my Savior. And, Lord, I want to thank you 
I praise you, Lord. And I thank you for dying for my sins, Lord. I thank you for giving me a place in heaven, Lord. I receive you in my heart now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As always, as always I'm praying for every single person that's listening to this. And if you are one who is, who is walking with God already, I pray that you're being equipped. But prayer must never stop. And I pray that, uh, that again, that, that if you need prayer, that's what we're here for. So go to the, go to the prayer tower ministry at the top of the page and send a prayer request. And you will be prayed for. And again, I pray that, that the Lord will always keep you and watch you as you stay close to Him. You must stay close to Him. He doesn't leave us, we leave Him. So that is what we need to remember, is that we need to hold His hand tightly. So may God always bless and keep you, and may you walk closely at all times. May God bless you.